0: had these conflicting ideas in my head. The new world was emerging, new kind of parenting strategies. I wanted to be present, I knew I needed to be present. I am not saying that I did it right. I was stressed, I got angry, I did all those things that stressed mothers do. But after 6 kids, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I felt like I was done. I felt like I had reached my limit.
1: In Hello there. I'm Tanya, and you're listening to episode 22 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Rifki Lifshitz and is dedicated to the Rebbe's lamplighters across the globe. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. In today's episode, I interview Dina Schusterman about how her understanding of Ain Sof, God's limitlessness within the world and within her own self, has empowered her to make choices beyond her perceived limitations. She talks about expanding her family, stretching herself financially, and sometimes scaling back in one area in order to expand in another. Like the universe, we too live in a dance between Ein self and symptom mirroring the creation of the world. We are constantly exploring our own limitlessness through the limited human vessel that God
0: gave us. Hi, my name is Dina Schusterman. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. We've been on Shluchas here for 24 years. I'm the founding director of the InTown Jewish Preschool, founding director of Kabat In-Town, in In-Town Hebrew School, and I am busy most days writing a book, a manuscript. A manuscript. Do you want to tell us more? It's a memoir of sorts, but if I knew more, I might be further along. <laughs> my writing, so I am currently figuring out my narrative arc.
1: Okay, nice. It's a process. Writing a book could take years and years.
0: Yes, this is yeah. what I'm learning. I'm birthing this book, but somehow harder than my other births. <laughs> and longer too, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Much. That's the nice thing about birth, it's that it's relatively quick. <laughs> yes, and you Excuse have me. a due date. Yeah, you know it's going to come out eventually. Well, this too, by the way, will come out eventually. Please, Just, God. Yeah. The help us, Hashem. Okay, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to be here. Could you begin by introducing the topic that we're going to explore today as briefly or extensively as you want?
0: Okay. The topic we're going to explore today is the topic of Ein Sof, the limitlessness of Hashem. So I wanted to give maybe a little tiny background, and that is that everybody has a worldview. As an adult, it's really important to be conscious of what your worldview is, like what are your beliefs? I mean, I think that's what this podcast is about, sharing a worldview, a belief system through the lens of So. I'm saying this because what I'm sharing is very personal, but the lens is Hasidically universal. Sometimes this consciousness comes as a result, like of a situation where you are forced to look at yourself and your thought patterns, and then you establish, like, where did I get this from? And I feel like at some point we're all forced to face what we believe about the world. When that happens, you know, every situation we respond. It just depends on so many things, but the ground level is where am I coming from? How did I start thinking about this? And that is maybe programmed since childhood. So coming from a Hasidic background, some of this might be easier because even though I came to it as an adult, it was like there at the very base level, slowly, slowly trickling in. Okay. So the Torah worldview has always been that God is present everywhere. I'm sure they didn't sing this in ancient times, but all of our children know Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. But the radical new idea that the Alter Rebbe taught in Shari Yechud VeMuna of Tanya is about the limitlessness of Hashem in this world, simply called Ein Sof, although nothing is simple, right? So I'm going to try to explain what I understand about this. So once upon a time, it was known to those who cared to know that God is present, as it says in Zohar, Les asur panay there's no place devoid of Hashem, okay? But with this understanding, it was that God was present everywhere in the sense that he has power over everything, as in the image of like, Hashem's up above, looking down, he's all powerful. It was thought that through this midah of Malchus, the infinite is like harnessed but he leaves his full power behind and that there's some limitation of God down here, so to speak. This is how this was understood for centuries, but it can't be. It's just not true. The Baal Shem Tov came along and said that God is everywhere as he is. There is no godliness withheld from the world. He is, in fact, present here in his infinite state. Mm. Not only that, he is involved and clothed within the physical world and the finite universe. He's in our world exactly as he is. And this was not something people understood until the times of the Baal Shantov and then the Alt Rebbe. So what this means is that in our finite world, he, God, has an infinite presence. And said in one more way is that There's an infinite amount of godliness in the finite being because we are also of this world. So then the question is, why then are we finite if Hashem fills us and he is infinite? Another question is, how is it that the infinite does not turn the finite into something infinite as well, like you would think, right? The answer to this is Timtom, which the great Kabbalists knew about. But Tzimtzum was often misunderstood, says the Balatanya, because it doesn't mean what it was understood as. It doesn't mean the absence of. It doesn't mean that a certain amount of godliness was left out of the world, because that would give God a limitation in space. It would say God is more appropriate in one place more than the other. And there's. No limitation of God in time or space. That's what the Rebbe is coming to teach us about Ein soap. If God had left part of himself, if this channeling, if Tzimtzum would have meant that there's separate gods, it would say that the higher worlds are more spiritual, and there God can exist, and there he is expresses himself. But no, not in the lower worlds as much. What Tzimtzum really means is concealment. God is here in all of his infinite glory, yet the created being doesn't experience him because of Tzimtsov. The kicker is that this is incomprehensible to us. We understand that it is, but we don't understand how it is. This is the definition of ain self, that God is limitless. He leaves no power behind. This is completely paradoxical. And just one more example of this is that Hashem created the world with chesed, but covers that chesed with gavura, or else that chesed would consume us all. And that, again, is a paradox. Just to bring it down a little bit more tangibly, we all know that water is life. But if water flowed down from the mountains and did not channel itself through rivers, streams, dams, and pipes into our kitchen sink, it would not only be of no use to us, it would destroy us. It's the same thing with experiencing Ain It is all there, but we don't experience it as such.
1: I love the way you pinpointed how the defining characteristic of Ain sof as we experience it is that the extreme difference between the way people perceive God's presence in, in this world versus the way Hasidus perceives it is that infinity is actually vested in the finite world. That ein sof is true. There, wherever there is, right, where infinity is revealed. And it's also true here where infinity is concealed. So that's a core difference. I love the way you introduced discovering an idea through your experience. So I want to hear what was the experience that forced you to confront in self in your life?
0: Okay, so because this is such a huge idea, it is very nuanced how it came in. That's the paradox, okay? Ain't so I experienced in my life in, in relationship to being a mother and having children. I want to put a disclaimer out here that everybody has their own experience. And this is about having a lot of children as opposed to not having children or having a hard time having children. So I just want to put that out there in case that's sensitive to anybody and that you don't want to listen to me talk about the trials and tribulations of big families.
1: That's really sensitive. Thank you.
0: Okay. Okay. So very early on in my schlichus, I was running a mommy and me and I had just had my third child. I think my oldest was five. And one of the women that came to mommy and me, she commented to me and she said, oh, I would love to have a third child, but I just don't think I would ever test fate like that. I was like, test fate? Like what? I just didn't really understand what she was saying. And I was completely connected to the idea that children are a mitzvah, and they bring us blessing. And in our generation, we have been charged by the Rebbe to bring down more souls to greet Mashiach in a body, right? That was what we were doing here. So I was intrigued that she would think having babies was taking when I always saw it as giving. Oh, nice. But her comments stayed with me. I kept thinking, like, why is she limiting herself? And more importantly, why is she limiting Hashem? We often, I guess, have this quid pro quo view of the world, which is normal because we have been raised with this, you know, you do a mitzvah, you get a reward. But I think I was already on the stage of thinking more about a relationship with, with Hashem. But it kind of made sense what you said, but I was just like, if you knew that it was a mitzvah, then you would know you're getting rewarded for the mitzvah. You know, I wasn't right. really there yet why do people's comments stay with us? You know, it's not always the reason you think of at the moment. You know, from hundreds of conversations I had with women about children and childbearing, for some reason, her comments stuck with me, this whole notion of her being limited. And then, as the years went by, I became consumed with being a mom. And I was unconscious about a lot of things in my younger years. But being a mom was something I was really aware of. I didn't take having children for granted, but I was also really kind of petrified of the interpretation many seem to have of the Rebbe's charge about large families, like what is a large family? How many? Do I ever get to stop? Will I be having kids forever? I also felt a lot of pressure to have a large family based on society, Chabad community, there really wasn't anyone to talk to about this. It felt very personal. This was at a time where nobody was really talking about mental health in the way they do today, never mind something much less important, so to speak, than mental health, which is that a mother's well-being, just her time, the fact that she can breathe and not feel stressed, and that there's a big price to pay when you are parenting under stress. Like This wasn't really known. But I felt like I could not control life stresses, but I could control the stress of having so many babies at once, right? You know, my mother was a good example of someone who took care of herself, but it was not understood in the way that it is now. It wasn't understood as being so integral to being a good mom. So I didn't have the pieces put together. I just was like grasping at things. I knew that something wasn't comfortable for me. Let's put it this way: martyrhood in motherhood was still very highly valued. I can't explain it today. We live in such a different world, but I felt a lot of pressure. What can I say? There were also other things going on. You know, I already had. You know, I had four kids. I had five kids, and I don't know. One day, I just decided. I don't know if there had been a stillbirth or something happened in the community, or that I'd heard about, and I was like, you know, I really ought to not be taking things for granted. And I decided, like was my fourth baby or my fifth, like this is my last baby, I'm going to treat it like my last baby. So I will be so present and so here and not think like another one's around the corner. And therefore like, oh, I have time. And I was really very focused on that. And it was not like unhealthy. I don't think it was more of like a motivational tool. It might sound crazy, but it was just the thing I was doing. And then I had a fifth child and quickly a sixth child and at that point, I was quite overwhelmed. My last two were close together. And then I had this contrasting story going on in my head, contrasting all that pressure I felt. So here's the contrasting story. In the 1980s, the week that the Rebbe spoke about having more children, my grandparents, who were what you would call today ultra chassidim, old chassidim, my grandmother had 10 children, nine of them, Actually, 10 of them were born in Russia. Nine of them survived. She came out. My father was the youngest. He was born in Kfar Chabad, And they were with my parents for Shabbos in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where my parents were shlochem. Each Shabbos after they made Havdalah, my father would call somebody in Crown Heights to find out what the Rebbe spoke about. I imagine they all gathered around the phone. My grandfather wanted to hear my father. And then my father hung up the phone and repeated... That the rebbe spoke about having more children. This was maybe 1984, 1985. Like, and they were in town for my baby brother's bris. And my baba, she says in Yiddish, ich darf rufen, en racha und rebbe meant nishze. I need to call my two daughters and tell them the rebbe doesn't mean them. So my mother used to tell us this story. I think it was her way of telling us, you know, Hashem helps those who help themselves and make sure that you can handle this. That was real. So I had these like conflicting ideas in my head. A new world was emerging, new kind of parenting strategies. I wanted to be present. I knew I needed to be present. I am not saying that I did it right. I was stressed. I got angry. I did all those things that stressed mothers do. But after six kids, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I felt really like I was at my limits. So at that point, I felt very limited. And here was my real transition into recognizing. So that's a long story, I guess, to get to my understanding of where my limitlessness was. I had my six kids and I felt like I was done. I felt like I had reached my limit. So I started obsessively asking around at this point. I felt more confident. I felt like I did have a big family and I was just interviewing people. And anyone I could ask, I said, what did the Rebbe mean? What is a big family? How many children? And we had, I would say, one of the premier Lubavitch thinkers in our house for a Shabbaton. And I said to him, "Like, what did the Rebbe mean? How many children is a big family? And he looked at me and he said, how many children do you have? I said six. He said, "You have a big family." It's like, oh, I do. That's right. Thank you for the validation. Right. So at that point, I spoke to him. He's not a rav per se, but he's has been cussed. And at that point, I felt confident with calling a rav and telling the rav, like I feel like I'm done. So according to halacha, the rav said, "You're done. Sure, but why don't you call your mashbia just to?" Really discuss this. I want to talk about a mashbiya here for a minute. So a note on a mashbiyahs. I am really consistently amazed at how the Rebbe was ahead of his time and he really prepared us for this time. And if you look around, what is everybody busy with today? Everybody's got a coach. Everybody's becoming a coach. What is a mashbiya? A mashbiya is your spiritual coach. And what will every coach tell you? I don't do any work. Everybody taps into their own self. Everybody has the answers within them. We have a tradition of believing in a chacham, faith in our sages. It also means the faith that the chacham has in you. I can look into myself and say, I have these answers. And it takes a mashpia to help me come up with these answers. I don't have to identify as the confused person. I have answers within me. I'm smarter than I think. What a coach does, what a mashpia does, is they direct people to yourself. This is what the Rebbe did. He directed people to themselves. Rebbe Tal, who ran a column for years in the AMI magazine, said he would just do exactly what the Rebbe said. He would read the questions and find the answers to people's problems in their questions. That's what the Rebbe did. So a mashbia has the clarity to help us not believe our own false narratives. So now enter my mashbia. I called my mashbia. I told her about my journey with this. I told her how I felt. I told her about the clarity I was feeling and what the Rav said. And she helped me understand that the brachas that come with each child, that why would I want to limit my brachas? She said, Hashem is limitless and Hashem can give you so many brachas. And do you want to limit your brachas? And she didn't say this like in a guilt-mongering way. She really said it in just in the way that it it was like, oh, I hear you, I hear you. I had possible brachas waiting inside of me and the rest was noise. I had the power within me to know what was best and to make this decision. And that also felt really empowering because I had like the decision was in my hands. It wasn't any more a pressure. With this conversation, it clicked for me. Why would I limit Hashem? Hashem is limitless. He has this power. And she helped me access this. She helped me access my treasure within, which is my aim self, my ability to be limitless. In this situation, she gave me the power to draw upon my own spiritual depth to go ahead with this decision. So instead of it remaining like in the abstract, I'm confused, I don't know, Hasidus calls this makif. it was just like hovering somewhere. She helped me go into myself. And if Hashem is in me, then actually I have a piece of infinity in me. And she helped me access that. I have a power of infinite, me and you, we all, have a treasure of infinite spiritual power within us to tap into that limitlessness of Hashem. And this was my doing it with awareness. It says in the Medrash on Shirah Shirim that Hashem said to the Bnei Yisrael, Open up for me a tiny opening like the size of a needle and Hashem will open to us like the doors of a hall, a banquet hall.
1: It's such a beautiful parallel from the story that you said at the beginning of the woman who approached you at the mommy and me and said like, how are you going to test God like that by having more children? It's almost like, because that's just like the world's messaging of everything, not just having children, that it seeps into our consciousness where even if we consciously say, no, God, of course I'm not testing fate when I have more children. There is this rhetoric in our head that says, you can't do more. Like God is not going to give you the ability to be able to handle more. Like You're at your limit. This is the limit of your fate. I think it's a beautiful parallel from you as a really young mom to you, as a mature mother, having six children and having to confront that belief that you like instinctively had when you were young in
0: a way that was, as you said, more conscious and done with awareness. It's beautiful. Right. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I didn't feel like maybe I was testing fate. Like what if I get pregnant again and the baby is not healthy? That was a huge worry of mine. Even though I was young, it was like more souls are coming down, more kids with special needs. I was I was worried about that. It's true. That's why I think I remembered her words because they kind of rang true for me. Right. Okay. So what happened next? So I got pregnant and I was just flying around and the summer happened. And I was really trying with my last few pregnancies when I had heard that the Rebbe, I heard through Dr. Rosen that the Rebbe had suggested you do that 20 week checkup and do a sonogram. Of, you know, that's what I heard that Dr. Rosen told the men at the kinos that yes, do that 20 week sonogram if it's if your doctor wants you to. So in the last few pregnancies, I had done that sonogram. Now I was at 22 weeks and I came to the doctor and I said, you know, I never felt like this. And I feel horrible and <sighs> just because I'm old and it's just because my seventh pregnancy. And he looks, takes one look at me and he's such a. You know, a seasoned doctor. And he's like, let's measure you. Because he always just eyeballed. He measures me. He's like, you're measuring way bigger. Now I have to say, I did not look way bigger, but I was measuring way bigger and the scale doesn't lie. So he's like, we're going to do a sonogram come. I sat down on the sonogram table and I had all these rules for my sonogram because they scared me. So I was like, don't take that Doppler over it and say, I see one hand, <laughs> another, there's a leg. I said, Tell me everything at the end. I want to know the beta accompli, not bit by bit. I was, he was like, Yes, ma'am. So he's doing his thing. He's doing exactly what I told him not to do. And then he drops it. He says, You are not going to believe this. And with all of my rules and stress and anxiety of what I told him, I knew it was not bad news. I looked at him. I said, no way. Like, yep, there's two of them. Oh my gosh. I mean, the irony, the the joy, the beauty, like it was like there was God showing me right in that moment. Just, I mean, it, it, this was just the beginning of him showing me, like, you opened up that tiny needle. You showed your faith. You leaned into the, limitlessness, I'm going to show that to you. And you know what? I had those twins and thank God, healthy and on time. And I had a checklist the size of, I don't know what. And every night I would worry about this and Google this. And I would have had so many things. They, they had to be on time and they couldn't be C-section, they had to be vaginal, they had to be natural. And I mean, crazy. And it all happened for me. I mean, the second baby was breached and it came out vaginally. Like it was all what i had hoped for well wow. and i changed completely i became more patient i became kinder i became more empathetic i became more capable not in one moment but my limits expanded i mean it was so clear to me it was jumping off this ability to see hashem or experience hashem even though There is symptom and it's a journey. I did it. I tried it. And it was just so miraculous. Ironically, if I trace back all of my post-baby years, those are the years I was most productive. And you know what happens then? Productiveness begets more productiveness. So each baby really, in truth, created more possibilities within me. Hashem shows us his limitlessness. Talk about Ain Sof. It was Ain Sof diapers, Ain Sof late nights, Ain <laughs> Sof money pouring out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But in that Ain Sof specifically, I'll talk about the money pouring out because obviously that is a big worry that people have when they think about enlarging their family, especially in today's day and age where we have to put our kids in private school. And camps and help and Shabbos and Yontif and things cost so much money. But Hashem showed us his limitlessness in that as well. After I had the twins, my mother, of course, helped me. And then she called me and she said, you know, Dina, you can either pay with money or you can pay in your mental health. You decide. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we made a really strong decision that for sure for one week we were going to have a night nurse. I have twins. I needed a night nurse for one week. Everybody in my community has two kids. They they have a night nurse for one week. They have two children. Period. Right. So, and they have a night nurse for a week. I decided that I could also get myself a night nurse. For so I hired for my seventh birth twins, and then, <laughs> and then it was twins. So then the night nurse became one week became ten days, and then we found this woman who would come to our house at eleven p.m. and she stayed until six a.m. Wow. For six months. And as you can imagine, the cost was prohibitive. And my husband, like a Tatala, paid for it, never even spoke about wondering where the money was gonna come from. And then interestingly enough, one day he gets a phone call from his accountant who says, Rabbi, I've noticed that the way you're filing taxes is not the way that a nonprofit, rabbi, whatever it was, he was filing at all wrong. And he could refile the last couple of years and get back this money. And all of that money was exactly, basically, the money that was meant to pay this woman for her time with my children at night.
1: Wow. It's like you doubted your ability to have one more child. And God was like, you could have more than one. You could have two. Like, you open a needle and God's like, you could do so much more than that. How did you feel about it being forced upon you? having twins?
0: I I never thought of it that way. What I
1: mean is like, how did you feel about the challenge of you were planning on having one more child? And then now
0: you have two. It was like, it was so clear. It was like, wow, like this is, these are the, this is, I'm going to get double the blessings. Like it was so, so tied up for me in all of this. Like I was giving myself over really. I was leaning into this. So I was like, Bring it on. I mean, it didn't come without stress and anxiety and right. fears, but I was really, like I said, it was at a time in my life that I was really conscious of what was going on for me. The fact that you're pushing yourself beyond your perceived limits. Yes. And again, I, I want to be very clear that this was my journey. And I felt like because I asked a Rav and then I spoke to a Mashbia, like it played out in a very safe way. And it's just my story, but you know, I had it as actually. Oh, wait, I'll tell you. After that, I called the Reb back and I said I had twins. And you know what he said? He said, "Dina, your factory is closed." And then I went to the kinnas that year, and this is the Chabad women's kinnas. And there was a, for whatever reason, this was what the theme was at one of the sessions. It was like video after video after video, the Rabbit talking about having more children. And then there was a panel up there of women and the beauty and having more children. I was like, ooh it's good. I have like my, cause I was was like, this is so much pressure again. I I was like, no, no, no. I, you know, I felt really satisfied and I felt like I was in a good place that I didn't have to carry that anymore.
1: Yeah. And I agree with you that like, it's a, it's such a personal journey. Like you said, you did it in a safe and organic way that was within the infinite potential that God has to give you blessing has to fit into the vessel that you have as well.
0: Right, and I also I spoke about worldview at the beginning. I think that when you I'm going to use like just a modern terminology, buy in. So if you buy into this, then do all those steps. Like it's not a game. Like you know I've bought in wholeheartedly. So the rav, the mashbia, and and that's what a rav does. A rav creates a reality. That's what asking a shila is. The rav creates the reality for you. What a rav says is your reality. So the rav said you're done but go speak to Mashbia, And speaking to my Mashbia meant that I was going to have this conversation about blessings. So that all of it was tapping into this very spiritual world that is not exposed.
1: The Mashpia was able to guide you to wade through the noise and find what you wanted. Like you were ready to expand your vessel. You knew you were because you were looking for so many answers outside yourself. And as soon as you... Looked inside, yeah. you knew. Right.
0: But I was re- ready to expand it when it w- it made sense, I guess, if that makes sense. You know, I have to like really understand this. And then that feeling of blessings like over really overcame me. I was like, oh, and that I don't want to miss out on.
1: Would you say that that large scale expansion that you experienced has impacted you in small scale ways since then? Like, was it a big before and after? Was it, or was it just one specific experience where you have experienced it and there's other ways that you have
0: too? Oh, it it was a big experience that impacted every area of my life. It was like a damn opening. Like I said, I became a more patient mother. That doesn't happen overnight. That's like tiny, tiny, tiny steps. My children will not say to you, the moment the twins were born, mommy changed. They will tell you that it has been a progression Since the twins were born, I don't even know if they could necessarily articulate that. But I, me and my husband, we know that I was conscious. I was looking for consciousness, but they opened up something so it was almost like, how could I do this if I'm not conscious? How could I do this if I'm not patient? It was like I couldn't slide by anymore on just doing good enough. I had to do really good if I was going to handle six babies plus two. I love
1: that you said that, that you were paying attention more in a way because you made this decision in a way that was so conscious. You began to pay attention more to what it meant that you were expanding your limitations, your perceived limitations and making room for a limitlessness to enter. And that meant that you could grow in so many more areas just because you were paying attention to the godly energy that you could access.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I knew it in every moment, but looking back, that is that is what happened. And I, I mean, I, I understood the blessings, I understood the limitlessness. But when you look back, you have just so much more clarity about all this. I couldn't have articulated this the day after I gave birth. It's right. very, you know, it's a it's been a it's a journey since then.
1: I want to ask you a question specifically about the financial element. Not you don't have to give your personal experience, but you can if you want to. Just because I think that that's something that so many people ask and question for themselves, not only in choosing to have another child, but also in so many different things that we could be doing where we limit ourselves. Because you hear stories of people who have taken a leap and God provided for them miraculously. So they opened up a giant cup and God literally filled their lives like a swimming pool. And then you feel like if I open up even a tiny needle, will God provide just that small little space that I created where I'm going to need. What's your opinion on like, what is a risk worth taking when it comes to finances specifically? I feel like that's connected to having children where you're able to push your limits, but you also want
0: to welcome limitlessness into your life
1: without being crazy.
0: It's very interesting that you use the example of a cup because my husband and I, Elio and I, have this thing about Vessels, okay? Because when we moved to Atlanta in the 90s, in the late 90s, everybody would tell us that their plate is full. And me and Aliyah would look at each other and say, their plate is full. I don't know. My serving platter feels full. And then we would look at each other and say, I need to get a new platter. I need a baby tub. <laughs> now I need a bathtub and now I need a swimming pool. So it's about expanding those vessels. So what's worth expanding the vessels for? Everything in the service of Hashem is worthwhile. So if your decision to expand, to take a risk is because you're going to have more children, because you're going to give more tzedakah, because you're going to build an institution, then my worldview, my belief system tells me that's not testing fate. That's leaning into Hashem's limitlessness. Oh, that's
1: really good. That's good. I like that a lot. Anytime you open it up for the service of God, not because, okay, I'm expanding my budget because we want to start taking more elaborate family vacations. It's like, no, I'm expanding my budget because I want to do more in
0: service of God. Right. Then you can trust okay. that. Mm, and your family vacations will come.
1: <laughs> more and more elaborate each year. <laughs> wow, that was really good. Tell us where in your life you still struggle with this. Where in your life you haven't yet mastered opening yourself up, even though you know intellectually God will provide, but emotionally it's still challenging to push yourself because you're like, no, no, no. I think this is my limit.
0: So like buying myself new pajamas. It's like, I'll wear the same ratty pajamas. I'm like, the kids need pajamas. I just ordered camp stuff and then the kids new shoes and the tuition bill and the camp I'm like, whatever, I don't need new pajamas. Patina, buy yourself the darn new pajamas. That's just kind of encapsulates it. But where do I struggle this with limiting beliefs? My children. It's limiting to think that all of your children are the same. Naming their behavior and boxing them in is limiting them. And because we've limited ourselves, we end up limiting our children. But our children are limitless. They don't belong in a box. So, of course, I struggle with that when I see things I don't like and I want to name it, but I don't need to because whatever I'm seeing can go in a thousand different directions. And please, God, it will all be positive. I mean, I have moments of fear, right? Self-doubt. Writing my book is feels very limiting at times because I'm always somebody's better or nobody's going to accept it or... I have the most rational reasons why it won't be published, which is that I don't have such an interesting story to tell in this world of 2021, or I'm Jewish and right now people don't want to hear from Jews. I don't know. I could tell myself so many different stories, but that's that's limiting myself. And I actually talk myself down from that self-doubt, imposter syndrome, whatever it is I'm in. And... The imposter syndrome is really about whether I'm a good writer, not whether I should write a book, because I feel like people should hear my story. I'm a shlucha and this is what the Rebbe wanted for us to spread our stories to the outside. But I talk myself down by, by telling myself, like, don't limit yourself, Dina. You can do this. Like, I think about the Rebbe just pushing through things and just going for it. And that's like, you ain't so, like, there's no end to this. You can do it. You can push yourself. I have limiting thoughts as it relates to my role in my shlichus. So for example, I'm the founding director of a preschool. I have started, with the help of many others, an incredible school that is doing incredibly well. And then I start limiting myself and saying, I have to be there because nobody else can do it. And I'm the only one. And that's so limiting because there are so many other people who can do this work. And I can be working on something else. That's a constant struggle for me to not put myself in that box that I'm needed here at all times. I'm not needed here at all times. Other people could do that work. I can go fly and write my book or give a women's class or do more research as it relates to child development and whatever it is I'm interested in that will relate back to the preschool, will relate back to my work as a shulha.
1: That's such an interesting way of describing limiting yourself. I never thought of that. So limiting yourself, the first option, limiting yourself and thinking that you have too much on your plate, you can't handle more, you're at your limit. And then opening your vessel up a bit more and changing your perspective on what you can handle to handle more. That's one. But then the second one is really unique in that you said... I limit myself in thinking that I need to be doing X when really I could be expanding myself and doing Y. So maybe you played a really important role in founding this preschool and you still do on a day-to-day basis, but that doesn't mean that you have to limit yourself by, you can pass on certain tasks to other people so that you have more space for something else. So sometimes we limit ourselves by doing more.
0: And sometimes we limit ourselves by thinking we're the only ones that can do it. Right.
1: It's like you were talking about being a stressed out mother. What comes to mind on Rifki's on this podcast, she spoke about how we limit our ability to be mothers by thinking that being a mother means doing the laundry, washing all the dishes, mopping the floors, making gourmet dinners, whatever it is, that you're literally limiting your ability to do so much more when you think that that's your task.
0: Right. So there are people who I've put in place in the preschool. I have an amazing director. And then I have this debilitating fear like, I need to be there. So I limit myself to go back there. But it's thriving. She's limitless in that position. She's doing a great job. And I can move on to other things. And like you said, I can do more and I can do less. Because I'm doing less at the preschool, but I'm doing more in my life. And the preschool is doing better as a result because it needed that person. Cause I have my limits and my organizational skills and those kind of things. Right. Let's be real.
1: Yeah, of course. Like in a way you, you tap into your limitlessness a little bit when you recognize your actual human limitations, even just getting a night nurse, I think is, it represents this whole idea, getting someone saying, I know my limita- the limitations of my mental health. Like what, type of sleep I need in order to function as a mother. And recognizing those limits is what allowed you to open yourself up so much more to literally having two more children, which anyone would say is a huge expansion.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yes.
1: Hmm. That's very interesting, actually. That reminds me of the idea of Tum, that in order, you said this, that in order for God to express himself in this world, he needs to limit himself so that we could contain what he gives us so in order for god's infinity to be vested within us we have to recognize our own limitations how we're going to make it work to expand our vessel one doesn't contradict the other so when you recognize your limits you don't say okay i recognize my limits so i'm going to stop there no i recognize my limits i put a system in place to expand in a way that works so that's my own
0: symptom i like it yes yes oh so that's beautiful. the paradox and that's again that's the paradox of it all A teacher once said to me, one of the teachers in my preschool, actually one of our mentors, our coaches, she said to me, all great truths are a paradox. So thinking back to getting that night nurse allowed me to be less stressed and allowed me to be a better mother and then feel good about all these children and enjoy my blessings and get better at it. Because once you enjoy something you want to do it more. I and mean, if you do it more, you get better at it. So that was that whole trajectory of the blessing that came with the babies.
1: I love that. Wow. I'd love when at the end, I'm like, I see all your points coming together in this beautiful tapestry. Really, really beautiful. Okay. Hit us with some tips. What would you tell to anyone who is to me? I'm, I'm limited <laughs> in all the ways to anyone who feels limited
0: how to step into that place of limitlessness a little bit more. Okay, so Ishmaya help from Hashem, <laughs> prayer, you know, the basics, but it's the worldview idea. You know, I would say to wrap your mind around it, get comfortable with these concepts. If you didn't you didn't come to this naturally, learn more about this. Because the more you learn about this, if you intellectualize it at the beginning, you'll you'll start being able to feel it inside of you if it didn't come naturally, this feeling. Some some people might be listening to this and being like, oh, that resonates, yes, yes, yes. And then some other people are like, I can't, like what is she saying? So the more you learn about it, so again, wrap your mind around this, get comfortable. And then this concept of a munas chachamim, our belief in our smart people, in our mashbim, and then their belief in us. Get rid of that false self-concept I would say that this is the Hasidic version of manifesting, but it's actually doing the work of it, right? One last thing I want to say is really taking the first step. So test this in one area of your life. We all grew up singing this with our campers, you know, kola olam kolo gesher tsarma od. So what is the whole world is a very narrow bridge. What does tsar mean? It means narrow it down, get really specific and then cross that bridge. All of this is about getting really clear with your values and leaning into them with all of your power. The rest is noise. Get specific.
1: Oh, yeah. Corner off. It's, you're literally you're defining symptom. Like right. Get specific with a specific area in your life. How can I express my infinite potential in this needle? Like in this whole, this
0: tiny hole, yes, right. and then see and then, what happens. And then cross it, right? Do it, try it in one place in your life. Beautiful. I love that advice. I'm going to try it. Can't wait. Thank to you. It. Thank pleasure. you so much. This was, was beautiful. So nice. Thank you.
1: We live in a world of contradictions. God vests his infinite presence in finite creatures. And we, as finite beings, ache to express our infinite potential. I love how Dina expressed the idea of pricking a hole as small as a needle, pushing ourselves just a little bit past our perceived limitations. Often, miraculously, A torrent of water comes rushing out through our tiny hole. This conversation has woven itself into so many internal conversations I have had in the last few weeks, pushing me in small ways to take risks, or to cut back in one area in order to expand in another, or just to deepen my trust that God has an infinite storehouse from which He can provide. I do not want to limit the presence of Ein Sof in my life. I don't want to limit God's ability to grant me the energy or the finances or the time to do the things and be the person that my soul wants me to be. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Tanya Project or via email at humanandholy@gmail.com. gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it would be so appreciated and it helps other people find the podcast. And if you don't want to miss a single episode, they come out every other Sunday morning, then hit the subscribe button and you'll get a notification whenever a new episode is live. Thanks again, and I hope you have a wonderful day.